0: This is TalkZone.com. What was that name
1: again? TalkZone.com, Internet Talk Radio.
2: And now, more sports and torrents with David Spada and Elliot Harris.
0: Elliot, I'm looking forward to our next guest, a gentleman who was a six-time NBA All-Star Played for the Rochester and Cincinnati Royals. For those of you who don't know, I think they're the Sacramento Kings right now. Yeah. In one of their incarnations, what they go to Kansas City, I believe, after Cincinnati, and then they went to Sacramento. And the gentleman who has a very interesting life, I mean, he took care of one of his former teammates till the day he died, and you don't see that in today's game, even in the past game, Jack Twyman. How you doing, Jack?
2: How are you guys doing?
0: Great. So, Jack, where are you at right now? Are you in Cincinnati, or where are
1: you living?
2: No, I live in Cincinnati. Uh, I I, I came here in 1951 to go to the University of Cincinnati and played, two, as you said, two years in Rochester and was very fortunate when the Royals moved from Rochester to uh, Cincinnati, and my wife is from Cincinnati, and so I've been here since 1951. This is my home.
1: you got a life sentence in Cincinnati.
2: A what? A life sentence? That's (laughs) right.
1: that's, That's the attorney talking there.
2: But it's not a bad place to have a life sentence. Montgomery Inn, the best ribs in the U.S. Best ribs in the U.S. Uh, Yep. If you ever get to Cincinnati, make it a point to go there. We go there quite a bit.
1: That and Skyline Chili, right?
2: Well, the Skyline Chili is hard on the tummy, but the the ribs are perfect.
1: Well, that's what they have antacids for.
2: That's right. How's the weather in Chicago? Is it down in the, uh, or got up in the 30s?
1: Yeah, it's made it all the way up into the 30s today. Just a beautiful winter day. With snow on the ground.
0: (laughs) So, Jack, when you played in the NBA in the 60s, how was the game different than, than it is today?
2: Well, that's a, you know, I, I, I'm going to sound like an old recrobate, but I don't think it's a lot different. I think one thing that we couldn't do or weren't allowed to do is uh, go on a weight program. And uh, because everybody, the, the, the popular opinion at that time was, it'll tighten you up, it'll hurt your shooting, it'll do this and do that, so as opposed to today, where that's all they do are, are weights, and uh, it hasn't hurt them a bit, and it's made them stronger and uh, and made them be able to jump higher. So I guess the athletes are, you know, uh, a, a little better trained than we were, but by the same token, I think uh, the game was uh, a little more interesting back in the 50s and 60s. We You don't see many plays run. You see the side clear, and uh, a guy jumps over another guy, and uh, that's it. But uh, we, we had a little strategy to the game, and I thought that was good, and uh, you know, I, uh, as I say, uh, I sound like an old has-been that uh, said it was better when we played, but uh, it was different, and I think interesting, and uh, both, both eras are uh, have their own uh, uh, advantages.
1: You also weren't quite as well compensated as today's players are.
2: No, I, I would say that's true. I. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, in fact, I'm given serious thought at my age to coming out of retirement for a year or two.
1: You know, you could be the 12th, 15th man on the roster. I think
2: about a million, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and just put DNP next to your name and collect the checks. That's right. No, it's uh, but I wouldn't trade those years for anything. We, uh, we had a, you know, when I when I was drafted in '55, there were only eight teams in the NBA, and uh, now there's what 32, and uh, you know, we had. I, I get a kick. I, I, I have two grandkids that uh, that uh, play on the Rye High School team in New York. So I went up there about a month ago to see a tournament, and one of the players on the team is Mike D'Antoni's uh, son. And uh, so Mike was at the game, and uh, he said, "Why don't you come up to the Knicks uh, practice facility?" I said, "Okay." I brought my grandkids up there. I've never seen anything like that in my life. I, I you know the sumptuousness of the you know the the, the video rooms, the lounges. They have a chef 24 hours a day just to take care of the players for nothing. And, uh, you know, Amari Stoudemire said, Mr. Twyman, this is like your uh, locker room was. I said, Amari, I had one nail, and I had to get everything on it.
1: Yeah, the training facilities are nicer than some of the arenas that you played in. I
2: can't tell you how nice the Knicks are. I haven't seen any of the others, but... uh, the Knicks are the state of the art, and it's sumptuous. It, it, it's just terrific, but that's a sign of the times, and that's uh, you know, it's all corporate ownership now, and and uh, you know, the, the money is a little more plentiful. But uh, I wouldn't change the years I played for anything. Uh, it was a, a great experience and something that I wanted to do and worked very hard to do, and uh, and having done it, uh, it's very satisfying.
0: I got a trivia question for you. Who? besides will Chamberlain was the first nba player to average more than 30 points a game in a single season
2: you're talking to him
0: i saw that stand i'm going okay a 6-6 forward averaging 30 points a game i said it's incredible i mean you had to have some kind of shot back then
2: well i uh, you know we had I, I, I worked very hard on my shooting uh, uh i had the bad timing as you as you noted that uh, i did this in 1960 that was rick uh R- R- will a year i I think mine was 31.2, and he averaged about 34. So the two of us were the first guys to break the 30-point barrier.
1: Was there anybody comparable to Wilt?
2: As far as a physical specimen, no. I mean, uh, he uh, he played, uh, people don't realize this, but he probably played at about 325. He could. When he was with the Lakers, he was the fastest guy up and down the floor, including Jerry West and Baylor. He could have been a tight end. He could have been a you know he could have been a, well he was a professional volleyball p- player and uh you know he was a, 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 an unbelievable athlete and and really could have done anything he wanted on a basketball floor he had that kind of physical uh, dominance but uh you know he uh, uh, he was thought a little bit from time to time by Bill Russell and uh, but uh, he, he and what was a great guy he uh, he uh, he was a good guy and uh but a great athlete and, and could have played any sport a, at the top and uh, chose to play basketball.
0: Another team of yours, Oscar Robertson. He wasn't too shabby a player.
2: No, Oscar was a great player. He, uh, he was the first guy to average a triple double. And, uh, you know, I played uh, about seven years with Oscar. Uh, I was gone from the University of Cincinnati. I graduated in 55. Oscar came to the University of Cincinnati in 56. And, uh, was on that '60 Olympic team with uh, the, in Rome that uh, had the great Olympic uh, uh, team, but uh, no, we played. Uh, in fact, I see Oscar quite a bit, and he's still a resident in Cincinnati. And uh, Oscar's a good guy and uh, was a great player.
1: But if not for you, he wouldn't have averaged that triple double, right?
2: I don't think that's true. <laughs> I, don't, I was just happy he joined our club. We uh, we uh, uh, we were pretty competitive in the uh, from '60 to you know, and then we kind of got. And Oscar was traded to Milwaukee, and I retired. And, you know, the team was kind of that's what two years later, they, uh, as you pointed out uh, before we got on the air, we they went from Cincinnati to uh, Kansas City, and they're now the uh, Sacramento Kings.
0: I get I get gloat a little over you because my college beat Cincinnati for the NCAA championship in '63, the Loyola Ramblers. But I was, I'll
2: be darned sure, sure. I remember that uh, there were bumper stickers all over Cincinnati three and '63. <laughs> but uh, it didn't work out that way who was a great player who was a great player on Loyola Jerry
0: Harkness Jerry Harkness
2: yeah yeah
0: and George Ireland was the coach
2: George Ireland but Jerry Harkness is a guy that I remember having had a, a great NCAA yeah
1: now how did you segue from being a player to being a broadcaster
2: well it was a great opportunity all while I was playing here in Cincinnati I did uh, in the summer uh uh In the winter, Ted Kluszewski did the uh, six and eleven o'clock sports, and in the in the summer, I did the six and eleven o'clock sports. So I was fairly, you know, uh, uh, familiar with uh, television. And in 1967, uh, when ABC, well, uh, ABC just picked Bob Cousy to do it uh, in '66, and Bob uh, uh, had he rolled his Rs a little bit, so uh, they didn't know that going in. So they wanted to make a change, and they had. They had a lot of tryouts, and uh, I thought that would be a, a great uh, segue from uh, the NBA to uh, doing the, the, you know, the network. And it was great. It was great. I did a lot of Wide Worlds. I did uh, the 68 Olympics, and and did five years of ABC. And then I had another business opportunity that forced me to. It's a tough, as you know, it's a tough business, and, and particularly uh when you're uh, doing a, 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 an NBA game of the week you're away every weekend and I had a I was in the insurance business I had a business to run during the week and uh, and then to go off to some foreign city you know it it, it wears on you and um, so I I had a, an opportunity to take over a company and uh, I thought it was a great opportunity which it was uh, in 67 so uh, you know I uh, I chose to uh uh but, but it was a great experience. I was privileged to, uh, work with Chris Schenkel, who I think is the epitome of, uh, a broadcaster. And, uh, we had, we had great games and great experiences and it served me well for the rest of my business career.
1: Can you explain to our audience, the people who didn't not have the opportunity to see Maurice Stokes play, what sort of talent he was?
2: Well, I would I would say that Maurice Stokes, for those of you in Chicago there, and I'm not I'm not trying to be cute or exaggerate, was a Michael Jordan that weighed about 50 pounds more. Michael played at what about 210, 220. Right. Yeah. Maurice played at about 275. But he he could get a rebound, he could dribble the length of the floor, he could play the pivot, he could play the forward, he could uh, play the one or two guard. He uh, he was very he was the first uh, uh, huge. Big man. Everybody credits Magic Johnson to being the first uh, guy that uh, could play guard, but Maurice, by far, was uh, the most versatile player that ever came into the NBA at that juncture in in the uh, in the career of the NBA. But uh, he he could do everything, and it was tragic because I hesitate to uh, even think about what we would be like if he were not injured and 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 and, and, and what and if he were able to play. Uh, Throughout a normal career, he 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 could do it all. He could rebound. He could rebound. He was the only fourth-place college team in the history of the NIT to win the Most Valuable Player.
0: So what happened at the end of his third season, the last game of the season, he fell on his head on the court, went unconscious. The game was smelling. No, stuck. that's
2: not quite true. Okay. It, it, you're, you're right. In on May 15th, the last game of the regular season, we were playing the Lakers in Minneapolis. He fell over uh, a player, landed on his head, was momentarily unconscious regain consciousness uh, uh uh as it turned out we were in Minneapolis and we were to begin the uh, best two out of three series with Detroit that 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 saturday so we took a train from Minneapolis to Detroit he was fine no he wasn't fine we we thought he had a little food poisoning because he was nauseous and and but uh, Clyde Lavella and Jim Paxson, who were also on this team were nauseous as well and uh, we thought that you know it was just uh you know a case of food poisoning or a flu bug or something like that so we went in to play the game on Saturday afternoon and we were on uh television at the time and uh he didn't he didn't have a particularly good game my recollection is he had like twelve points and was kind of sluggish and uh, so so you know we thought he still had the flu or the and so we uh we were gonna we, we were to play the next afternoon in Cincinnati so we rushed out to uh In those days, not Metro, Willow Run, and, uh, we, uh, we got an American flight, uh, to back to Cincinnati, and it was about as we got up in the air, uh, heading for Cincinnati, uh, uh, Maurice became deathly, I mean, he he had one of those old Harris tweed sport coats on. It it was absolutely soaking wet. He went unconscious, and, uh, we were, you know, we, we decided that rather than turn back, and if you know anything about Detroit, Willow runs about an hour from downtown, whereas we were like uh, uh, 30 minutes out of Cincinnati. We wired ahead; an ambulance was waiting, and, and there was a hospital five minutes from uh, the airport in Cincinnati. And uh, but it, I, I, I always I'm, I know absolutely nothing of what I'm talking about. But the uh, the unconsciousness and 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 this profuse sweating manifested itself as soon as we got in the air. And reached altitude, and I, I always maintain that that had something to do with it. And and then you know the rest. Uh, he was uh, he was in Saint uh, Elizabeth Hospital right there in Kentucky uh, for about a year, and then when he was able to, we moved him over to Good Samaritan Hospital in Cincinnati, where they had a, a, an excellent physical rehabilitation <laughs> rehabilitation program, and uh, you know he spent the next eleven years he lived for twelve years after he took sick he spent the next eleven years working like hell just you know uh, uh, beating himself up in the morning in the afternoon speech therapy uh... physical therapy occupational therapy he worked he wanted very badly to uh, uh, beat this thing and he was doing it he died not from the uh... from the injury but from a heart attack that uh, he, he just beat his body up too much during his re- rehabilitation
1: how difficult a process was that for you to to have to watch?
2: Well, <clears throat> I'll tell you something, and I've said this when asked. I gained a hell of a lot more from Maurice than he gained from me. I have never seen the guy, it, you know, here, I, I just told you, he's about 6'8", about 260, 270. I've never seen him have a bad day. I've never seen him not have a smile on his face. I never saw him not try to... You know, he would watch our games on television, and when I would come in after the game or the next day, he would be the one that would be trying to boost me and pep me up. And so, and and I'm not unique in that. Everybody that went to see him uh, uh, came away uh, uh, inspired by his attitude. And I could tell you, you don't have enough time to to, to hear all the stories of the people he touched and he inspired. And uh, and so it, it, it was. Tragic that he was in the situation he he was in, but I've never seen an individual, let alone well uh, and not incapacitated like he was, uh, to have the spirit of life that he had. So, you know, uh, a short answer to your question, he inspired everybody he came in contact with, not the other way around.
1: You inspired me because in those days America was highly segregated, and to see a black man and a white man interact without regard to color, you know, touches at the core of a human being's existence.
2: Well, that's very nice of you to say, but let me tell you something. The NBA back then, we had a team that uh, was colorblind. We, uh, we, our wives got along together. We would uh, go to dinners. We would have parties. We would uh, travel together. There was uh, a lot of camaraderie in those days that I, I don't think exists today, but I'm not, you know, I'm not privy to that, but... Uh, you know, in, in, in the end, sure, I've been, uh, I've been in restaurants that, uh, we'd go in after a game. I can remember in St. Louis at one time, uh, uh, we went out with, uh, Bob Pettit and, uh, uh, Cliff Hagan and Maurice and myself and a couple of, and the guy said, we don't serve We all got up and left. That's all. We went to another restaurant. <laughs> so it, it, it wasn't a case of, uh, we were, you know, sensitive to that. We weren't. We, uh, we were teammates. We were, uh, fellow athletes. We were, you know uh, i I didn't care if he was pink or blue or what, and he didn't care either you know we just uh we were trying to win ball games and we uh, enjoyed one another's company and uh that's as simple as that
0: did the team take care of him because I was reading some stuff that they kind of disputed that it was a work injury and workers' comp wasn't picking up that you got involved I mean you and your wife would visit him every day and then you adopted him
2: well, we had to uh, I, the reason I, I I adopted him is because he was from Pittsburgh, and his parents were older, and certain legal decisions had to be made, and uh, I uh, I didn't have the right or the legal right to, to make some decisions. So a good friend of mine was uh, Judge Chase Davies, the judge of probate court here in Cincinnati, and he said a simple way to do this is just become his guardian. I said, okay, let's do it. So that's what prompted that. <coughs> and, uh, you know, I haven't talked about this much, but... Uh, uh, In answer to your question, uh, uh, the former owners of the Royals did nothing for Maurice. They uh, even challenged the fact that uh, it it was unique. Let me go back to our... uh, uh, We got off the plane on a Sunday in Cincinnati. Uh, We rushed them to St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Uh, The following Tuesday or Wednesday, unbeknownst to the players on the team, the following Tuesday or Wednesday, the club was sold to Cincinnati Interest, and it was sold... In 1958, if you can believe this, for $220,000 without Maurice, if he got better, the the sale price was (laughs) $225,000. So the owners ran away from Cincinnati, didn't want anything to do with Maurice because it might have caused them to uh, uh, spend a little money. And uh, what we did, uh, another good friend of mine who uh, uh, was a workers' compensation lawyer, I believe that uh, Maurice, uh, in concert with myself and uh, this attorney, Walter Bell, was the first test case for an athlete to be awarded uh, benefits under the workers' compensation law. So we want, we we sued the state of Ohio. It took about a year or two, but we prevailed. And uh, uh, Maurice was entitled to and received... Uh, not uh, not enough to be the total under underwriter of his expenses, but received workers' compensation benefits as a result of being injured in a ball game that uh, was do- uh, for a team that was domiciled in uh, the state of Ohio.
0: Jack, I'm in a workers' comp attorney, and I was very interested in it. But our next guest, when I told him I was having you on, he told me that he played for another team, but you threw. A great party, a hell of a party, and that his teammate Wayne Embry sweat more during, during the twist at your party than during the basketball game. On the line we have Frank Ramsey.
2: Oh, Frank Ramsey, what a great guy he is. Yeah, well, one time we had the Celtics come over after uh, a, a game in Cincinnati and we had, a, we had a, a little party in the basement of my house. And, uh, and that's what I'm saying. That's, that was typical of uh, the attitude in those years. Uh, how the teams would get together after a game and uh, you know off the court off the get, court and after the game uh, uh, we uh, we were pretty good friends we and, and Frank and I uh, I've talked to Frank from time to time uh, over the last years just to uh, I, I, I have great respect for Frank he was he was a great player and a great guy and uh, you know he, uh, He's, he was the, uh, 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 the the starter of the best six man after before Havlicek was even out of college.
3: Frank, are you there? Yeah, Jack, you're very kind.
2: Well, you're you know I'm looking at, I'm in my office, Frank, and I'm looking at a, a, a bubble gum card where I'm going right around you. So <laughs> you have a, you have a soft spot in my heart.
3: Well, he's right about there were only eight teams at the time we're talking about, so there are eighty players. Yeah, and we played each other. Well, I know in uh, L.A. Uh, we toured with them during the preseason, played them 14 times in the play preseason, touring by car up through New England, playing them every day, played them nine times during the season, and then seven times in the playoffs. That's about 25 times a year you play a team.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, we could, we would get in cars. We'd get four cars. The Celtics would get in four cars, and every night it was a different city in New England. It was uh, it was terrific. And then the, and you... Uh, after the game, you'd have a couple beers, and, uh, you know, you got to know one another pretty well.
3: Well, it's, uh, it's interesting now uh, in watching the teams play, and I'm talking about not knowing any of the uh, players, uh, just watch the, how they act on the court. Sometimes they almost hate the enemy and sometimes don't like their own teammates.
2: I know. And boy, that wasn't the case then, was it, Frank? No, it wasn't. Yeah, we had, a good, we had a good time. We really did.
3: And the strange thing is we've remained friends all these years. I know Dolph Shays used to beat the heck out of me. We played Syracuse, and uh, over the past few years, you know, we're real good friends.
2: Yeah, I see Dolph from time to time, and uh, I, I, I feel bad, Frank. Uh, you know, I used to make it, ever since we were together at the Hall of Fame about five or six years ago, we made it a point to talk to one another at least once a year, and I haven't even... Called you saying, well, I, I I wasn't sure that when your house uh, was blown away in the tornado that I could even get a hold of you.
3: Well, hey, we were both talking about the Lipitor or something like that. Yeah, right? we, uh, <laughs> right, we both had
2: muscles from, muscle spasms from the Lipitor, and uh, so we were commiserating. It's like two old uh, women talking about their maladies. Yeah, it's
1: <laughs> the joy of aging.
2: That's right. That's
0: right. Do you guys remember, I mean, Jack, you mentioned Marie Stokes, basically he could do it all.
2: Well, I'll tell you so, Frank. What do you think about that? He could.
3: He was. Uh, he played forward. He'd bring the ball down the floor, and every now and then I'd try to guard him. It was, it was impossible to. Uh, he was about six eight, I believe. What he six was. eight?
2: About two seventy,
3: and uh, had all the moves in the world. The nicest guy, and I know that you all played on a Sunday afternoon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, when, it, when he had that attack on, yeah, yeah I
2: was just saying uh, to uh, David, I guess. Uh, uh, we played Detroit on a Sunday afternoon. Got on an airplane heading back for Cincinnati, and on the flight he became deathly sick and unconscious and perspiring, and that's when it took place. Yeah. Well, he reminds
0: uh, me of LeBron James, kind of, the way you're describing him.
2: Uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's, I, I, I don't know if you were listening, Frank, but I, I, being these these two guys being from Chicago, I thought it was Michael Jordan with 50 more pounds on him. That's right. He, he could do anything. He could do anything.
1: Or a little bit bigger version of Elgin Baylor, maybe? Yeah,
2: something
3: like that. Yeah, well, uh, yes. Elgin had that tick, you know, uh, and it got worse at the end of the year where he would, his head would turn to the left. you think he was faking you all the whole time. Well,
2: those of us that guarded him timed the tick pretty well, and we'd steal a ball from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
1: Now, f- Frank, you're renowned for being basically... The first sixth man, you know, you, you when they talk about the sixth man, you are the personification of that.
2: You, hey, let me tell you something. You look at the uh, you look at the statue at the end. He had more minutes than anybody else on the team. So all this sixth man said, "It's Red back trying to get inside your head." I,
0: I think he was trying not pay him a lot, so
2: said uh, you're a bunch guys. Probably, yeah. But you you look at the the, the minutes, and uh, you know, old Frank was right up there with all of them.
1: Well, and you even see that in today's NBA sometimes. It's not the starters on the court at the beginning of the game, but at the end of the game are the ones who matter.
3: Yeah. Well, Tommy Heinsohn was a two-cigarette man at half. (laughs) (laughs) So so, he'd be a little winded? Right. uh, We knew he was on the last about five or six minutes. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, it was interesting uh, to play with all those guys. And some of those teams, I think I looked in the picture, I had on the wall, and I think nine people in that uh, picture, including uh, Walter Brown and Red Auerbach, were in the Hall of Fame. Yeah.
2: No, it's uh, it was – you can I, – I don't care in any sport at any time in history, when you win 11 titles in 13 years, and the two years they didn't win, I think was 58 and 67, Russell was hurt and didn't play. I mean, that's an incredible uh, accomplishment. And, and we damn near beat you, Frank, in 60 when we – We we beat you twice in Boston, and and, and our management, in their infinite wisdom, scheduled the Shrine Circus in the gardens, and we had to play at a a college arena. And uh, we we went to the seventh game in Boston. I think it went to a double or triple overtime.
3: You all, I remember that uh, because we went down there. We had to play out at UC, I think UC campus, wasn't it?
2: I think it was, yeah. Well,
1: that should have have been familiar territory for Mr. Twyman.
3: Well, he was very tough to, uh, to guard because he had the two-hand set shot, and when he went around you, he pushed you a little bit, too.
2: Oh, I never pushed you. <laughs> I mean, I was fighting to keep your hands off my ja- my uh, pants.
3: The guy I don't
0: get who's in the Hall of Fame, the Boston Celtics, is Casey Jones. He never put up any great stats, and they put him in the Hall of Fame.
2: Well, he, he, he was a pretty damn good player. He, uh... He was the quarterback of all those teams. You know, Sam was the shooter, and uh, Casey was the one that uh, orchestrated most of the uh, plays and so forth. Would would that be accurate, Frank? Yes. You
3: had Kuzi and Sharman were starters. Yeah. And then uh, uh, it it is a natural thing when a substitute comes in, you ease up a little bit. All of a sudden, Casey Jones and Sam Jones replaced Kuzi and Sharman, and uh, we
2: kept building up the score. No question.
0: What would your payroll have been with the Celtics if you guys were playing nowadays with all those stars?
2: Well, back then it was about $12,000 a year total.
3: (laughs) And that was uh, about
2: $4,000 more a year than the Royals.
3: I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's amazing. People ask me, would you love to be playing today and not back then? Well, I certainly wouldn't, even though the money's there. But now, after 40 or 50 years, we're still remembered. Yeah. I'm talking about... Jack in Cincinnati, uh, the Celtics in, in Boston. And when you have all those titles, uh, you don't – we all had to have summer jobs. All of us uh, would play, and then we all had summer jobs to support a family. Yeah. And I don't – I think these kids are making so much money now. What is the average salary is about a million, too?
2: I mean, that's the lowest – that's the minimum, I think.
3: Well, if that's the case, uh, you could – that would be 24 years at 50000 a year uh, – if you made $50,000 a year, that would uh, be the equivalent of uh, getting that for 24 years. That's a whole lot of money.
0: You can only make, The only way to make
1: more money is as a banker. Spo- yeah, I was going to say, That's spoken right.
0: like and a there,
2: banker. You're talking to one of the most successful bankers in Kentucky.
1: They're not using Confederate currency anymore, are they?
2: We
3: uh, we still have uh, Confederate money in our vaults down here.
1: You can't buy too much with that nowadays, I don't think.
2: Oh no. no.
3: <laughs> Favor Confederate money, the South is going to rise. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We've heard that one before.
2: That's right, that's right.
1: Of course, with Rand Paul, you never know.
2: Well, I think he's a pretty good man, don't you think, uh, Frank? Yes, Yes. I uh, I like what he says, and I like the way he's acting, and, and for this country to get turned around, we're going to have some people like that uh, in Washington.
0: I heard a story over the weekend that um, Tony Blair gave George Bush a statue of Winston Churchill when he was in office on loan. Obama, the first thing he did was send it back back with a... It covered the head and said, we don't want it. And he put a statue of Abraham Lincoln there. And from what I'm hearing, England is so upset about that, they're not inviting the Obamas to the royal wedding.
2: I I heard the same thing. And uh, that's typical of Obama. I mean, you know, and here we are in Chicago, but... uh I, uh, I I I'm not a fan of his. That's for sure. What about you, Frank? Well,
3: I, I'll tell you, I stay out of politics. I'm in a little town of 300, and we have one stoplight here, and you can't get in politics because no matter what happens, you're on the wrong side of somebody.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk some basketball then, uh, Frank. Your Celtics gonna make it to the NBA championship again?
3: In order to win a championship, you have to have a whole lot of luck. You've got to win the close games. You can't have an injury to an important player. Uh, and at the end of the game, the timeouts have to come just right. It takes a whole lot of luck, and uh, I hope they can. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet against anybody.
2: I tell you, I I, I I think they have the depth that uh, they can win it. If, they, if those guys stay healthy, uh, uh, they have the depth. I think uh, you know you. It's hard to win with one guy and uh, one ball. But if you have four guys, uh, you know, that can put the ball in the hole, which they have, I, 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 I and I'm rooting for them just because of the uh, history. I, I think uh, I think they're playing well as a team, and I think they'll do just fine.
0: The problem is you don't have Kevin McHale in Minnesota anymore to trade you Kevin
2: Garnett to get you the championship. The <laughs> well, problem you, is you don't have Frank Ramsey anymore. If you
3: look at uh, one a man that scores a whole lot. Look at what uh, Wilt did. He averaged over fifty points a game, and yet they never won the cha- a yep. championship when he was with Philadelphia.
2: That's right. No, that's right. You can't do it with one man. You got to have a team, and uh, and that's why I think the Celtics are to be reckoned with. Uh, if, you know, and, and I hope uh, you know you you think you got to think that the uh, the Heat are going to get their game their uh, team their together because they got some talent on that team, but so far they haven't been able to.
1: How surprising is it that Miami hasn't been able to come together?
3: Well, I think you only have one basketball out there. That's right. And if you take those players, last year they played for a team that they got the ball at the end of the floor. I mean, at the end of the game. They got the ball to do what they could. And now you've got three players that are there, and they haven't meshed yet as a team. That takes a while, I think.
1: Does one of those players have to step up and say, "I'm the guy, I get the ball at the end of the game"?
3: I don't think so. I have to. I think you've got to see who. Jack, Jack I don't know whether you agree with me or not, but you've got to see who's hot that particular That's game. That's
2: exactly right. You have. Yeah. Conversely, I think you have to have a guy that. Uh... Can step up and say, I'm going to sacrifice and and get the ball to this guy that's hot or this guy that's hot.
0: But you need the old Kentucky guy and Pat Riley to come down and take control of that team. I don't think the coach now can do it. I think Riley's got to sit there, come down, take over the team and say, I'm in charge, I'm going to tell you who's getting the ball and what to do.
3: Well, I don't know whether he can do that or not because uh, uh, it appears to me now when you have a team uh, that makes a lot of money, they can fire the coach.
2: That's right. Okay, how, do, how do you order a guy making three guys making ten million bucks a piece and a coach making one million? How, how do you you know? How do you assert any influence over that?
0: You don't think there's respect for Pat Riley where they listen to Riley?
2: Oh, I think there's respect, sure, but uh, it's very difficult in my judgment. And Frank just articulated that that uh, to control these superstars, they uh, they think the uh, rules don't apply to them.
0: Do they respect the former players like you guys when you come around, or do they just kind of brush you off?
2: They don't even know who we are. <laughs> no, they, <laughs> they, they're,
3: they're, there's a, uh, a commercial of uh, Le, Le, LeBron and uh, Howard uh, betting a McDonald's thing on the, who can win horse, and all of a sudden they look over there and Bird's eating the sandwich and they ask, who was he? I've
2: seen that, yeah. That's okay, difference. if they
1: don't know Larry Bird, then they, they definitely don't know you guys.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: But some of us remember you quite well.
2: You must be very old.
1: I am. You told me that the other day when I said I used to watch you play.
2: Yeah, there's only five of you still
0: alive that saw me
1: play. We're like Civil War veterans. That's right.
0: But you know what? You guys know the game. You can explain the game. And you can articulate it. Whereas today's players, a lot of them, you hear them talk. They give you the same... Mumble jumble, and it's like you're not speaking English.
2: Well, the game uh, is—you know—apparently the game is very popular. Never has been more popular. And as, as Frank said, you know, when we played, there were eight teams. Now there's 32, so it must be somebody wants to watch them. Yeah.
3: Now, Frank, uh, if you take eight teams, we had 80 players in the league, and now uh, if you take the best 80 players out of the 320. I think that would show you how strong each of our teams was.
0: Um, Look at Jack's team. You had Stokes, him, and LeVette on that team, and those were three Hall of Famers.
2: Yeah. And then to followed by Lucas and Boozer and uh, Oscar and uh, Wayne Embry was on our team before he went to the Celtics, you know. So, you know, there were some pretty good players back in those years.
3: Now,
1: Frank, could Red Arbach be coaching in this era, do you think?
2: Yes, but
3: uh, no, he, uh, uh, when we were playing, all he had to do was uh, say, "I'm going to swap a couple of you guys," and <laughs> he scared us to death. But uh, he could—he adjusted in his uh, later life as a general manager and everything. Uh, I, yes, he could, because everybody respected him.
1: Okay. And the I, only I, problem he would have is he couldn't light up a victory cigar because uh, no smoking in the arenas no. anymore. You figure out a way to
2: do it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: You know what we talked about Marie Stokes, and every time I think of concussions, I could talk about I think about football again, but now I have a total different view, and I hope people listen to this show and realize that in the NFL with these concussions they've got to take it serious because someone could die on the field relatively soon.
3: Who was a kid that got uh hit uh, and was completely paralyzed? He was hit after catching the pass in the end
1: Daryl Stingley. Yeah, back in the day, he passed away a couple years ago, ago,
2: didn't he? Yes. Well, it's a it's a it's a very very brutal game, and uh, I think the NFL is doing the right thing in trying to legislate against uh, concussions and injuries, even if it compromises the game a little bit. I I think the safety of the player is paramount.
0: Thank you very much, guys. We're out of time. It was a pleasure talking
2: to you, Jack. Well, it was a pleasure Fra- talking to you both. And, Frank, what a great treat it was to catch up with you again. Hey,
3: now we can talk about something other than uh,
2: Lipitor. Our, our,
3: yeah, our Lipitor and our uh, health. That's right. Glad to see you all.
2: Thank Good you. you. Thank, you. Very, Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.
0: There was NBA Hall of Famers or Basketball Hall of Famers Jack Twyman and Frank Ramsey. We also had Amy Fries on earlier. I'm David Spada with my co-host Elliot Harris, and you were listening to Sports and Torts. Turn it in again next week. Thank you.